Bibles. Let's turn to the book of 2 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 6. And uh, <clears throat> this is the earliest I've got to preach in a long time. So some of them that come in late are going to be shocked. They ought to be on time. Amen. Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. And I am going to read verse number 11. Um, and um, then I may turn to second or first Chronicles chapter 13. But let me read one verse, Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. The ark continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now just for sake of reference, First Chronicles is the same story just a rendering from a different viewpoint. And chapter 13 and verse number 14 says, And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about something that's been eating on me for a long time. I don't remember exactly how many months ago, but it was several months ago that I wrote down this uh, subject, the ark in my house. Everybody said amen. Say it with me. The ark in my house. God bless you. You may be seated. None of us can fully understand always the difference that a decision can make. Although we know how powerful decisions can be, there is a difference, a vast difference that a decision can make. <clears throat> Two men made decisions on how they were going to live. <clears throat> One of them, whose name was Max Jukes, decided that he was going to live his life the way he wanted to live it. And so he gave himself to pleasure and sin. Uh, some uh, historians say he was actually an atheist, others challenge that, but they all agree that he was an alcoholic, he was a rough living man, and he was a man who refused any kind of Christian training, and he refused to take his children to any kind of religious uh, service or any kind of religious uh, Sunday school program so that they could be influenced. As a result, when you study the history of Max Jew, 
you'll find somewhere in excess of a thousand descendants. And of that thousand descendants, there were 680 admitted alcoholics. There were at least 190 declared prostitutes, 60 thieves, 7 murderers, over 130 convicts of different types, and 310 paupers who combined spent a total of 2,300 years in the poorhouse, and 400 of them physically wrecked their lives by alcoholism, and it is noted that they cost the state of New York over a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. At the same time, and the same generation, there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards who also chose how he was going to live. And he chose to live according to God's principle, according to God's word. And he and his wife fathered several children. And out of those children came 929 known descendants. And of those known descendants, there were over a 100 missionaries that came out of that family. Over a hundred lawyers that were out of that family. There were 80 plus public office holders that came from that family. Over 65 professors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors, two governors, three senators, and one vice president. All because somebody made a decision on how they were going to live. Amen. Somebody made a decision about how they were going to live. Oh, the difference a decision can make. Amen. The difference a decision can make. I have learned that in life, all events in some way tell upon our character because all of our lives are opened every day to opportunities and how we respond to those opportunities and the choices that we make determine our outcome. What we are doing today is determining our future. The Bible said, and I've been reading and studying this particular verse, and I, I, I'm sure that some point down the road I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about it. But there is a verse of Scripture that uh, just haunts my mind at times, and it is the verse that speaks of whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then he goes on to say, he that soweth sparingly reaps sparingly. He that soweth bountifully reaps bountifully. That verse determines not only the future, but what I am right now. And 
It has to do with the present and the future. And it speaks to me of a prophecy that whatever I'm doing right now is determining my future and it is deciding my destiny. That whatever I am sowing, whatever I am putting myself into, whatever I am giving myself to, whatever I'm expending my energies on today, tomorrow, or the next day, or the next month, or the next year, I am going to find a harvest. And so whatever you sow, you reap. And if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Now the ark, as most of you are aware, was a box that was very important to all of God's people. It was more than just a piece of furniture. It was a symbol. It was an icon to Israel. It represented the visible presence of God to Israel. And it housed in that ark of the covenant. There was a table of shoe bread and there was also a, uh, a, a law that had been given. And it was very important to them. It was very uh, much a part of their spiritual life and structure. And as many of you are aware, uh, during the time of the judges and the debauchery and the failure of God's people, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and it was taken away from them for a very long period of time. And finally, after some incidents over in uh, their temple where Dagon, their idol, fell over and broke up before the presence of the Ark, they decided they didn't want that in their country. And so they put the Ark on a cart pulled by some animals and the oxen and they sent it back to Israel. And back into Israel's hands the ark came. And if I remember correctly, it was in the house of Abinadab for 40 years prior to our setting here in, in this particular part of Samuel. It was there for 40 years. And uh, then... When Saul had died and the kingdom that had been divided was united and they decided they wanted David to be their king, David desired to bring that ark back into the place where it belonged and bring it back to the forefront of God's people. And so David goes to get the ark. Everybody with me so far? You know the story of how he went. And they tried to continue to bring that ark in the same way that the Philistines had handled that. And many of you are aware that in the process, the ark shook on the cart. And uh, one of the men who was standing by reached out to steady it and God slew him. And that disturbed David. It troubled David so much that he stopped the procession and decided that this was not the thing to do. And this is how it wound up in Obed-Edom's house. Now, there's several things that I could say, but I will tell you this. 
The world may get by handling God one way, but you and I will never get by with it. God may tolerate ungodly people or people that don't even claim any allegiance to Him in doing some things, but when it comes to people that know better and that know Him, there are things that God requires of us that He is not going to let us get by without doing. And David found out very quickly that he had done some things wrong. First of all, he had not inquired on even how to handle the ark. He had not gone to the Lord to ask of God, how do we bring this thing back and put it back where it belongs? And there was a definite procedure. God had already given them back in the Levitical law the way that that ark was to be handled and who was to handle it. And so David had to learn this. He had to find out. But what really spurred David to go back and search for that was what happened at Obed-Edom's house. Now, I don't know, and perhaps it is just conjecture, but somebody had to make a decision of who was going to let the ark come into their house. And Obed-Edom said, I want it to come into my house. Not knowing what it would produce, only knowing that he wanted the presence of God in his house. And so Obed-Edom opened his house to the presence of the Lord and the opening of his house opened to him the blessings of the Lord. And for three months, everything he did prospered. Everything he touched turned to gold, so to speak. He was blessed so much that word got back to David. David, we need to go back and revisit this ark thing, this ark issue. Have you heard what's going on at Obed-Edom's house? And they began to rehearse before David how that God was prospering Obed-Edom and God was blessing him because he had opened himself to the divine presence of God. He had opened his house and been willing to let God's presence come into his house. And because he opened that door and let God into his house, God prospered him. God blessed everything that he did. He blessed his children. Listen, read read what the Bible said. The Bible said he blessed all that he had. Everything that that Obed-Edom owned, God blessed and he multiplied because of his willingness to open himself to the presence of God. Now, I just want to digress for a moment and I I want to contrast uh, a little bit between Abinadab's handling of the ark. Abinadab had it for 40 years in that location. And I'm not being critical and I'm not trying to read anything into Scripture, but there is nowhere recorded that God blessed Abinadab for what he did in that 40 years. Now, I don't know why. I'm not saying there weren't blessings there, but it seems to me that perhaps 
it had to do with the way in which that ark was handled. It had to do with the way and in which one man responded to the presence of God versus another man. Maybe one man did it out of obligation. Maybe one man did it out of necessity. Another man did it because he wanted God's blessings on his house. And if nobody else is going to raise their hand, I want my hand to go up because I want the ark in my house. Amen. Now, I, I, I may be wrong, and I, if I am, then I'll, I, I'll, I'll accept the correction. But I know that the ark lingered long, the Bible said, in, Abin, in, in Abinadab's possession for 40 years, and yet there is no recorded, uh, no recording of any words like a recorded of Obed-Edom that God blessed him or God prospered him. Men have God in their house sometimes, but they don't even know it. Men can have God in their house and not be blessed. Amen. How could it be? They did not derive the same blessings, though it was the same presence. And perhaps it's because there is a difference between lodgment and hospitality. There's a difference. I'm going to let that sink into your mind. There's a difference between lodging something, tolerating something, letting something, and welcoming something. There's a world of difference. As long as I've pastored, and as many years as, and it seemed like a lifetime, it's only been 19 years, but... As long as I've been pastoring, the great mystery to me is that you can have 50 people or 150 people sitting in a service and the same God, the same power, the same presence, the same glory, the same miracle that can happen in one place does not happen in another. And I wonder, God, how could that be? And God reminds me that there's a difference between just lodging me and being hospitable to me. There are a lot of people that come and sit on a pew, but they never get connected to the presence of God because they don't pray, they don't worship, they don't do the things that are vehicles to bring them. You know, it just it's like, you know, if we hang around the barn long enough, we think we're going to become a cow. It doesn't happen that way. You, you don't become like him just by hanging around him. And that's obvious by the fact that Judas was close to him but never allowed that. We can be in this house but not know that he's in this house and there's a difference between lodging we do not all gain the same advantages by being in the house of God there are some even tonight that are bored right now and you're wondering why in the world we don't have any music and we don't all the things that I depend on and 
and, and, and I've got other things I need to do. And somebody's thinking, I wish he would hurry up. You know, he's already gone way. And then somebody else is just saying, Oh God, tell me something more. What was the reason why you blessed Obed? Because whatever Obed Edom did, that's what I want to do because I want that same kind of blessing on my house. All of us have the same Bible, but the Bible that we have does not advantage all of us the same. Some people read it and are bored. Some people read it and they find life. People read the letter, but they never enter into the spirit of the book. We do not all gain the same advantage from being in the church. There are some people that view the church as just a social medium. It is an opportunity to make friends and to have fellowship and to converse. And there are others that think that church is just a great place to be a stage for their drama that they are always involved in and they... They're not happy if some kind of drama's not going on. And so if there's not any going on, they're going to stir something up so there is some drama going on. And then there are others that come and they say, God, I need a word from you tonight. I, I, I've, got a, I've got to have an answer. I'm facing something tomorrow. My family's going through something. So not everybody gets the same advantage from church. And what is the difference? It's the same God, it's the same spirit, it's the same song service, it's the same worship, but we don't always gain the advantage. So let me just share with you what the Lord's been talking to me about. First of all, I want you to consider the opportunities of life that come our way every day. Every day, in a thousand ways, there are doors that are open to us that can make us better or bitter, that can make us grow or they can stunt our growth. Every day that we live, there is the power of life and death at our fingertips, at our disposal. And whether we have life or whether we have death or whether God blesses our life or whether God is just a figure in our life is determined by the decisions and the choices we make about His presence. For a lot of people, God is just a presence. But to many, He is a power. Amen. Good or bad, life or death, progress or regress, every day we have opportunities. Our happiness, our future, all depends on what we do with the opportunities that are given to us today. How did Obed-Edom know that the ark would come to his house that day? He didn't. It was just the opportunity that presented itself that day. But Obed-Edom was ready for that opportunity. Obed-Edom was open. The outcome of his life and what the future was going to be for him and how God was going to bless him was all wrapped up in his ability to recognize an opportunity. That this, this is a chance of a lifetime and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to sleep through this. The outcome of my life and your life depends 
on the use we make of what God sends our way. And none of us know what kind of opportunity is going to come to us tonight or even tomorrow or the next day. None of us know what kind of ark may be visiting our home or our life in the future. So it behooves all of us to stay awake and alert to opportunity and realize that every day God brings things along our way that can be a blessing to us, that can advance our life, that can allow us to grow or we can miss them. We can be sitting beside them and dry up and die because we don't recognize what is there for us. And how many times we do misinterpret our opportunities. There are some people that if they would have seen the ark, all they would have seen would have been work. I mean, you've got to serve the ark. The ark doesn't serve you. You've got to maintain the ark. The ark doesn't maintain you. And so some people would have looked at that and said, oh, that looks like work to me. I don't want that in my house. You see, sometimes there's, there, there is work involved in order to get the blessing that you want. But don't be afraid of opening yourself to those things that at first may seem to be unwanted. You know what I've discovered in life? That some things that I thought were the absolute worst thing that ever happened to me turned out to be the very best thing that ever happened to me. Amen. And God brought that opportunity into my life. Think about it. How many of you, your life tonight has been blessed because of an unforeseen opportunity that came to you and you didn't even know it was coming, but when it opened to you, you opened yourself to it. And when you did, you're blessed. Your job's better. Your finances are better. Your family's better. Your future's looking better because you opened yourself to that opportunity. You need to be aware that every day God sends things into your life that will be a doorway to a better life if you open yourself to them. Amen. What we put our hands to can bless us or hurt us. If you don't believe that, go ask Yusa. Amen. What you put your hands to. Both of them put their hands to the same thing. Obed-Edom and Yusa. Yusa died Obed-Edom was blessed. One man handled the ark wrongly. One handled it rightly. And God blessed him. I believe the difference was that Obed-Edom reverenced the ark while Yuza was just trying to steady the ark. Trying to help God out, so to speak. Trying to keep God from falling off his... Folks, we don't have to keep God propped up. Amen. And I'm not trying to exaggerate an illustration. I'm just saying that I believe that Obed-Edom reverenced the presence of God. And he reverenced what that ark represented. And to Yuza, it was just something to handle. It was just something to do. I believe the difference between Obed-Edom and Yuza was that he welcomed the presence of God. He welcomed that ark into his house 
And Yuza was just part of the labor detail. I believe that Obed-Edom cherished what that ark represented. And so he was careful what, what came into his house. Be careful how you handle the things that life sends to you. Be careful how you handle the things in life that come to you. Amen. Somebody needs to say amen to that. You need to be careful how you handle what God sends into your life. Praise God. Praise God. I remember hearing, was preaching in East Texas several years ago, and there was a, a little community where we were at, and a guy was telling me about a real wealthy man in the community that had gone into a car dealership one day to buy a new car. And when he walked in, he had bibbed overalls on, just dirty and filthy, looked like he was just poor as Job's turkey. And and when the salesman walked in, when, when he saw him, he immediately tried to avoid eye contact because he didn't want to have to wait on him. And uh, the guy stood around in there, and finally he, he goes up to one of them, he said, what do you have to do to get somebody to wait on you here? I'm interested in buying a car. And so if I remember the story right, the one man did, looked at him and he thought he was just some old dirt poor uh, farmer. And so he pushed him off on this new guy. <laughs> this this guy that just come into the car dealership. And so reluctantly this guy takes him and he, take, he said, what are you looking for? And he said, I want, and he named the most expensive automobile they had. And uh, the guy kind of stammered. He said, well, okay, if that's, that's what you want, we'll, we'll go look at it. But, uh, you, you know, it's, those things are really high. He didn't even say anything to him. He just walked on out the door. So they went out and looked at it, walked back in. He said, that's what I want right there. And the guy kind of nervously said, well, uh, sir, I, I, I don't know how to, say this but uh do you have a way to finance this he said oh i plan on paying cash and uh, come to find out he was the wealthiest man in the whole county wrote a check didn't even bargain with him on the price he just wrote out the check for whatever the salesman told him and here we are <clears throat> looking at a situation backwards and saying how many situations just like that have we had in our life because we judged something wrongly, some opportunity that came our way and we saw it as work rather than worship or we saw it as just something to take care of rather than something that was going to wind up taking care of us. Amen. Second, consider with me what we can set in motion when we make the right choices and we make the right decisions. Think with me. What you can set in motion when Obed-Edom opened that door and said, bring it right in here. No matter what you have to move out to get it in there, move it out because it's worth getting rid of whatever you've got to have What's coming in. 
And I don't know, Obed-Edom probably lived in a tent, maybe not. Maybe he had a sod house of some kind, but I'm sure it wasn't much because most Bible historians say that Obed-Edom was one of the poorest. He came from a poor clan. He, he came from an area that was known for poverty, so he was probably a very poor person. But whatever his state financially when they brought that ark in, there is no doubt in my mind he had to move something around to get it into the house. But Obed-Edom decided whatever I've got to move to get it in the house, I'm going to move it because I reverence what that means. I reverence what that represents. That's the presence of God. And I want the presence of God in my life. I want the presence of God. Folks, there is no telling what you and I can set in motion by simply doing the will of God. By just doing the will of God. What we set in motion by the decisions and the choices that we make. By doing the right thing. By saying the right thing. By being in the right place, by having the right attitude, what we set in motion, what we can set in motion by opening our lives to the presence of God, there is no telling what you will receive, what's going to come into your life by just opening yourself to the presence of God and by making the right choices and the right decisions in your life. And when you choose the ark for your house, it means you also choose to close the door to other things. And like I said a while ago, whatever Obed-Edom had to move out of the way, it was worth moving. Whatever he had to get rid of for the ark to come in, it was worth getting rid of. You see, the ark is not meant to impoverish. The presence of God in our lives is not meant to impoverish us. It is meant to be a blessing. And for three months, Obed-Edom, every morning, every time he looked at his stock portfolio, it had doubled. Every time he went to the bank, his bank account had tripled. Every time he went to the field, his harvest, it just shot up over. Every time he went to the stall and looked at whatever, it just... You say, Brother Hughes, you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. The Bible said God blessed all that he had. If he had dogs, he blessed his dogs. If he had cats, he blessed his cats. If he had mice, he probably blessed his mice. He blessed him because he opened himself to the presence of God. Amen. And when you choose the ark, when you choose the presence of God for your house, it means that you're also possibly going to have to move some things in order for it to be there. But whatever you have to move, it's worth moving. Whatever you have to get rid of. Because that ark will not impoverish you. There's a lot of people that think living for God. Oh, my Lord, you've got to give up so much. You, you just, you can't do. What do you mean? What, what can't I do? I can't get stoned. Whoop-de-doo. I can't get 
just gut slobbering drunk. Whoop de doo. I don't have to puke my guts out tonight before I go to bed because I've got too much in of stuff in my body that my body was not meant. I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder what I might have caught after last night's adventure. Now tell me, what have I lost by living for God? I've got my sanity. I've got my family. I've got my health. I've got a future that is better than anybody else's future. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. I've got a mansion where the streets are paved with gold. I mean, that's how little gold is valued in heaven. God uses it for asphalt. Gates of pearl, walls of jasper. My, I'm telling you tonight that you will never do anything for God that will not turn and do for you. When His presence abides in your house, blessings will follow. Amen. Not only at church, but at home. Peace will be there. Rejoicing will be there. Love will be there. Encouragement will be there. Help will be there. If you'll just invite the presence of God to live in your house. Amen. There are moments in our life that are filled with opportunity that come our way if we just open ourselves to them. So folks, whatever you have to put out, whatever you have to put away, whatever you have to do without, do without it. Because what God brings into your life in return, His presence in your life, is going to be worth far more than whatever you put out. Amen. Whatever you have to deny yourself of. Well, brother, you was living for God's heart. Nobody said it wasn't. Well, living for God is just, it's just a, it's just such a pressure in the world. Our world we live in is so carnal and fleshly and there's so many things you can do. I know that. But there's not one thing that you say no to. There's not one thing that you turn away to allow God's presence to come in and live in that place that's not going to wind up blessing you far more than what you would have held on to. Amen. Amen. If you help God, God's going to help you. Amen. If you open up to Him, God's going to open up to you. He will bless you. He will multiply. He will enlarge. God is liberal to those who favor His concerns and those who further His kingdom. Those who are interested in what He's interested in, God is liberal toward those kind of people. Do you know what, folks? I, I don't want to, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I'm going to tell some of you tonight that you don't have all you have because you're so smart. 
Many of you have what you have because you have been liberal toward God. You have what you have because you learned a long time ago it's more blessed to give than to receive. That when you open God's, or you open your door to God and say, come on, God said, well, you know what? That can't stay. That's okay. I'll get that. I I don't need that anymore anyway. (laughs) You know, let's just get that. Let's make some room in here. When you do that in your life, the benefits far outweigh whatever deficit you might suffer. My question tonight is, do you want the ark in your house? I want God's blessings in my house. That's why in my house there are some things that I don't want because I want Him in my house. That's why in my life there are some things I don't want to do because I want Him in my life. There are some things I'm not being forced. This is not legalism. Nobody's holding an axe to my head and saying, if you don't do this, we're going to chop your head off. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be a child. I'm not, I'm saying the reason that I choose to live the way I live is because I want that ark in my house. Amen. And I learned a long time ago that God is liberal. God is lavish. He's more than liberal. He's lavish. He, as a matter of fact, He is more than lavish. He's outlandish. Because God said, you give and I will give back to you. That's pretty good. Give and take. God doesn't give and take. He said, you give and I will give back to you. Press down. Pressed down. Pressed down. Brother Kenneth Baker taught me a while back, a few years ago, about how important it is to press some things. But (laughs) I'd forgotten all about that until just now, Brother Kenneth. There's a place up here called the Barbecue Walk or something. And I'd never been in there before. Went in there one day to eat with Brother brother Kenneth. And, and, and it's one of those oriental places where you put all the stuff you want in a bowl. You take it up to them. And they, they stir fry it. And then you eat it. Well, I the first time I went in there, I put some stuff on it and brought it up there. Well, I noticed Brother Kenneth, he'd put a little stuff in it. He'd press it down. He'd put a little more in He'd press it down. Well, when we finally got our bowls back, I found out why. My bowl was about that much because by the time they cooked it down and it all shriveled up, there wasn't enough for two bitefuls. But his was, it was a lunchtime meal. And God said, that's how I give. I'm, I, I, I don't measure what you do and say, okay, if you gave me that, I'm going to give you. God said, you just give. And what I give back to you is going to be pressed down, shaken together, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I kind of, I think that's extravagance. Amen. 
How many of you want the ark in your house? It all depends on the decisions we make in our life. We can be a Max Duke or we can be a Jonathan Edwards. Amen. Everything we do can be blessed or everything we do can be just what we do. Amen. I, it didn't necessarily have to be cursed, but it's just what we do. And what we do is not enough. But when God is in it, it's more than enough. Let's stand together.